testing will We'll be a thrill Grandpa and chill, grandson and friends Grandpa and chill in full effect We talk about it all, yeah put it all on the set With that pet craze too We chillin' with Rosie, country rules Stay tuned, yeah listen closely Cause this the millennials and the silent generation Coming together, discussion in rotation This is Grandpa and chill Welcome back this week to another episode of Grandpa and Chill. I am so excited. We have our amazing guest, Dr. Jeff Zwerink. Am I saying that right? <laughs> you are saying that exactly right. I appreciate that. Where are you calling in from, Jeff? I am in uh, Los Angeles County or Los Angeles, California, basically. Love it. So, oh, live a little amazing. bit outside of Los Angeles. Amazing, yeah. I was in LA in July, but I'm I'm all the way in Atlanta now. Everybody's from all over basically so okay yeah yeah um so you passed high school is that what you said on your <laughs> bio <laughs> I, I did i, I did all right well, I gotta say that much, so. um if you could tell the folks at home a little bit about your background that'd be amazing yeah so i i uh i am uh my name is jess Warink. i'm a astrophysicist by trade and uh basically what that means is i way I describe a physicist physicist is someone who figures out how things work the way they do. And an astrophysicist just does that with a telescope. So I get to uh, use various kinds of telescopes to figure out how the universe works. And that's a lot of fun. I uh, went to uh, college to get a degree in physics, uh, decided I liked physics and uh, figured out that physics or there's there's this science faith discussion that people think science is antagonistic to faith, realize that astronomy is where that overlaps, picked up an astronomy minor in college, went on to astrophysics in graduate school, and have been working in various ways or doing that uh, sort of science. I worked on a gamma ray telescope where we're looking for uh, gamma rays from distant objects. Uh, right now, I'm working on a balloon experiment that we hope to launch in 2022, maybe 2023, looking for dark matter. Uh, just like I said, just love to figure out how the universe works. And so what can we do to build that and see how it does? Nice. Uh, Jeff, I have a question for you. I'm maybe jumping jumping ahead a little bit, but um, I am I correct in assuming that one of the reasons that they are looking for dark matter is because the, the galaxies are moving away from one another faster and faster. Not all of them, but uh, they have to uh, find a reason for that. Uh, sort of. It's a little more complicated than that. And the, the way I would describe it is that when you look out into the cosmos, uh, if you want to weigh how much something weighs or how much mass there is, you look at what's orbiting it. So if you want to measure the mass of the Earth, you look at the orbit of the moon. If you want to measure the mass of the sun, you look at the orbit of the Earth. And so when we look at galaxies, uh, we look at our galaxy, look at other galaxies that are close to us and other galaxies that are far away, uh, we can figure out how much mass is in the galaxy by by the orbits of the stars. And then we can also go in and just count up all the stars and say, all right, how much is mass based on the stars we can see? And lo and behold, the amount of mass in the galaxy is far greater than the mass in the stars. And so astronomers, being the creative souls that we are, came up with the name for of that matter. We call it dark matter because it doesn't give off any light or at least not light that we could see. And so you see that sort of phenomenon in galaxies. You see it in uh, uh, 
star clusters, you see it in clusters of galaxies, and you see it in the cosmos as a whole. And so we got lots of measurements where we see the gravitational effects of dark matter, but we just can't measure what the matter itself is. And, and that's, that's why we think it's a particle of some sort. So we're trying to build experiments that will allow us to detect the particles and help us to understand it a lot better. Well, uh, Jeff, my uh, question, I guess, is um, they talk about the observable universe and mm -hmm. uh, possibly there's an infinite number of universes that uh, have gravitational forces or have uh, attractive forces to our universe that would account for the uh, – the increase in acceleration of, uh, generally of, of the, um, uh, galaxies, the galaxies of our universe. Uh, if there was an infinite number surrounding our universe, uh, does that make no sense or, you know, I'm no, it's, it sort of does. And, you know, you're, what you're referring to is, you know, as we look out at distant galaxies, what we find is that the further a galaxy is, the faster it's moving away from us. And that's a telltale signature of expansion. Uh, you know, cool, cool demonstration you could do is take a balloon, blow it up a little bit, put a whole bunch of dots on the balloon. And then as you blow it up, if you measure the distance from any two points, and it doesn't matter which one you take, every point will behave the same way. As you blow it up, the distance between that point and any other point on the balloon gets further and further away. And so that's kind of that's what's happening in our universe. And we, you know, is, we're trying to figure out what mechanisms could cause that. And the the prevailing, the the most popular or the the the, the explanation for that that is the most accepted at this point is that there's just a property of space that as it expands, it wants to grow larger. Uh, now, there's, there is one way to describe it is that if we happen to be, our universe happens to be in a bubble, a very under dense region, and there's more stuff outside our, what we can see, that could actually be causing that acceleration. That would require a little bit of special geometry. It means we're pretty close to the center of that. And just as a general rule where we've said, uh, Earth or the solar system, our galaxies at some, particularly privileged location like that, we've almost always been wrong. So that's why a lot of people don't give a lot of credence to that. But that, that is one of the possible explanations out there. Thank you for that information. Yeah, sure. It's cool. It's cool. Now imagine someone blowing into the universe and, uh, and, and that's figuring that, that that'd be it. That's the answer. Um, that's pretty cool. Hmm. I, what questions? I have lots of questions. Uh, I guess, my first one, because I, I I'm into mythology a lot and stories, and and I I, I get, all right trying to get this to connect. Um, how close were like these old astronomers, people looking at the stars and like you know having names for them and having these like ideas? How how much closer? How close were they to how much knowledge you guys have now with all the special technology you have? Do you see like are, is there ever a moment where you're like, oh man, they had it really close to right? Well, I, I guess it would depend on what you mean, because a, a lot of times, you know, what what you see in those descriptions is where are the stars, where are they located, how are they moving? And they built some pretty sophisticated models for predicting the motion of the stars. I mean, we give Ptolemy a lot of grief because he said the Earth is the center of the solar system, and we know that's not really correct. Um, but uh, remarkably, given that the Earth is at the center of the solar system and the mathematical tools they had, 
they had incredibly accurate predictions for when things were going to be, how they were going to move across the sky, uh, largely because they could do it with circles. And circles are much easier to work with, uh, with when you only have algebra than if you've got uh, or when you don't even have algebra. And so um, in terms of figuring out how the heavens behave, I would say a lot of the ideas that are out there uh reflect the fact that there are pretty primitive ideas where we don't really didn't really have a good understanding. Uh, you know, I probably will get into somewhere in this discussion. I find it remarkable that when you look at some of the ways the Bible describes the universe, that it actually gets a lot of those conceptions correct. And that's part of the reason why I think uh, the Bible is correct and Christianity is true. So, um. Did you grow up Christian or did you find faith later in life? I did grow up a Christian. I, my parents became Christians when I was, or, you know, they, they grew up in a church going home, but they actually accepted Christ as their savior. Uh, when I was about three, three or four years old, I remember seeing them baptized in the river outside the city where I grew up. Wow. Um, so, th I mean, their, their Christian walk and their, their faith and their teaching just permeated our home. And, uh, you know, I think God yeah. built it into us to trust our parents. And so I trusted what they said. That doesn't mean I haven't done a lot of searching since then. Uh, so it's not just like, well, my parents said it, therefore I believe it. But, uh, I grew up in a Christian home and have been taught that and have found no reason to question or no reason to doubt that, that it is true at this point. Have you, um, I would say found a lot more faith based scientists than we would think stereotypically, or are, would you say that um, a lot of them are atheists that you work with. You know, there's some interesting studies that have been done. I think one was done in the early 1900s. One did one done about uh, in the early 2000s, looking at you know just kind of what fraction of people in the scientific community uh, believe in some sort of supernatural. So this isn't Christianity, but some sort of supernatural. And lo and behold, that that percentage has been right around 35-40% astronomy, physics, chemistry, biology, uh, across all those disciplines, that number is pretty much constant for the last 100-120 years. So uh, it's not like the, the majority of them believe in some sort of supernatural. And again, not all those are Christian, but uh, the number of scientists that have a belief in a supernatural uh, has been and continues to be a substantial majority of, of the people who are scientists. Hmm. And and how did you, um, I guess, growing up Christian and then experiencing uh, science uh, through school, um, deal with things that um, might go against the faith-based teaching and then vice versa, where part of your faith sort of makes you question things in science? No, that's a, that's a great question. And I would say largely... Uh, throughout high school and even into early college, I just never encountered much that was in conflict or that I perceived to be in conflict. Uh, like I said, my dad, a uh, very strong Christian, have always looked up to him. Um, he's a chemist, a PhD chemist, teaches physical chem or taught physical chemistry at the university in my local hometown. Um, and so there's just this practical measure where being a scientist and being a Christian weren't in conflict because that's practically how things worked in my family. And I've kind of found that same thing. Uh, you know, I like I enjoy figuring out how things work uh, in, in science. I enjoy what I enjoy about that, actually, is that it's a pursuit of the truth. You know, what is it that's actually true? And I and I would characterize Christianity as that same thing. Let's pursue the truth there. 
Um, but I, I would say where I begin to encounter places where, ooh, science is saying things that are against Christianity and Christianity seems to be saying things that are against science was when I got into college, that's where I became a lot more aware of the whole creation evolution debate. Um, you know, how old is the earth? As, uh, as I was reading my Bible when I was in, I think I was a sophomore in college, uh, reading in Genesis 1 there. And, uh, you know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless void. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. Spirit of God hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God's, you know, so I reading in those passages and, and the notes in my Bible said, these days have to be 24-hour days. That's what Scripture is saying here. And, and being one who takes seriously the authority of Scripture and, and holds Scripture in high regard, I'm like, if that's what Scripture says, then that's what I believe. Uh, but I'm also aware that um, I'm in my physics classes, chemistry classes, other science classes I'm taking, there's uh, these notions that the Earth and the universe are billions of years old. So I'm wrestling with that. And uh, I, I kind of intuitively had a sense that those have to say the same thing. And so if biblically those are 24-hour days and scientifically those are billions of years, maybe we don't understand time properly or, uh, you know, so maybe time is exponential or logarithmic and uh, or as far as we measure it scientifically and yet in the Bible, you know, so th these are the sorts of ideas I came up with. But ultimately what I recognized is that um, when I looked at what's, what Christians who hold Scripture in high regard have to say about those days, there are those who say they're 24-hour days, and then there are those who say, no, those are longer periods of time. And then there are others who say, you know, these are, this is a theological treatise telling us who God is. It's not about the time scales at all. And realize that the Christian scholarship was far broader than what I'd been taught. And as I recognized that, what was this, what appeared to be a conflict was no longer a conflict. And as a general rule, every place where I've perceived that there's a conflict, when I've gone in and done more research, either in what the science says or what Christianity has to say, I found that my that perceived conflict has almost always been due to incomplete information. Whereas I've studied more, the conflict has been resolved. Wow, thank you. <laughs> Have you studied any other religions? Um. Sort of. I mean, obviously, I've put the bulk of my study into Christianity. I've studied. I, I, I have. I have a passing familiarity with a number of religions, but not none that I would feel confident saying, "Oh, this is what you know." Like this is what Islam says, or "Oh, this is what Buddhism says." I kind of have a general sense, or I, you know, I can go to people who say who've studied that, and I'll take their word for it. But I have a far greater knowledge of Christianity than I do of any other religions. That's for sure. Cool. Yeah, I guess that is wonder. I'm like, I just, just, yeah, I just wonder how close the rest of the religions are to, like, you hear you saying Christianity is very close to the science and, and on the line. I'm, I, I do think that religion and spirituality don't have to be like so fighting with science because they seem to be, they're all, we're all just looking for answers. Everybody is. Um, so I don't know why they have to be so, um, you know, I, I always, I don't really understand the beef too much, but I mean, I guess I do, but, um, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I appreciate what you're saying. And I think there is some, I obviously think there's some validity to that. I think where in my assessment, the, where, where that's important to investigate mm -hmm. is, and, and I, I will take, for example, my boss, Hugh Ross at Reasons to Believe. Um, he did actually, he, he grew up not being taught Christianity, you know, grew up in a non-Christian home, not, or non, non-religious home, as far as I can mm -hmm. tell. 
and, uh, you know, very interested in science and in his teenage years decided to go out and investigate, all right, which of the world religions accurately describe things according to what the what we know from science. And he came to the conclusion that only the Bible of all the religious texts accurately matches what we know in science. And again, why I think that's important is not because you know, let's go out and fight and let's have arguments is because I think we ought to be passionate about the truth. And whatever the truth is, we ought to find that and align our lives with it. And so, uh, you know, I, I have no qualm with someone who says, hey, I want to believe that. Great, fine and dandy. Um, but I would encourage them. It's like, hey, what, whatever we do, we ought to be passionate about pursuing the truth and then aligning our lives with that. Because that to me just seems pretty important. If we're not aligning ourselves with the truth, we're missing the nature of reality, if you will. Yeah. I, I mean, I suppose with religion being so like, like subjective and stuff, I probably can justify it all in any religion. I mean, you, you press me hard enough. So, so what do you mean by religion being suggested, like, uh, subjective? If well, I, I, you, you can justify a lot of the things that why Christianity aligns with, with um, science. And I'm sure you have a lot of knowledge in that. But I, I'm sure that if you could tell me those same stories, I can be like, hmm, that's the same as finest religion. That's what, you know, I, I can probably justify all that and believe it and, and feel good about it. And it, um, yeah. Well, and I think your comment highlights a very important point is that, um, you know, it, it's difficult to pin down what a, a religion says. You look at what people who are part of that religion say, and they can be all over the map in a lot of sense. And that's why I think it's really important in doing those investigations to, one, look at what the religious texts say, the people who are experts in knowing how to to, to interpret that, uh, you know, because you know, I mean, I, I I go to church with a lot of Christians, and they're gonna they're gonna be all over the map in terms of certain things, but in a very real sense, not they don't have the expertise to evaluate what this word means out of scripture or what this passage means. That's what people who study Hebrew and understand ancient languages that you know that that's that there's a body of literature that says, hey, here's what's going on in this religion, and so I I, I think that does provide some way of narrowing it down because I think you're right, you can twist almost any scripture any religious text to say what you want it to say almost anything. And uh, I don't know if that's a good idea. To, I, it bothers me that people do that. I guess I'll say it that way. I guess you She's can rationalize uh, <laughs> meaning of anything. Um, I, I happen to believe that uh, the creator, the mind of the creator creates all consciousness. And uh, so that, that any uh, belief that any person has, uh, has, is part of that consciousness. Um, we're all so, basically puppets of the mind. The mind is controlling all of our uh, reality. And uh, uh, it's very easy to rationalize. Uh, now, what you're saying has me confused because uh, the, the, the Christian, first of all, I trust my ancestors, but uh, the, um, and I was brought up in a Jewish home, but not particularly religious in my case. But um, I, I just feel like um, I I don't understand when you say that uh, that the Christian religion backs up or or science backs up the Christian religion or they they kind of uh, work in tandem or whatever, because it seems like like. Uh, the, the what you've we've learned from science is very different 
than what uh, religion basically has taught us. So I, I had two questions I would have, you know, just um, one of the questions, and I'll ask this one second, is, you know, what are some of the areas where you see what the, what the Bible says and what science has as being very different well, just, from one another? Just basically what, what, you, what you just said yourself, but somehow you, you rationalize them to be the same in terms of the, uh, the time when the universe was formed and the period of time over time that it took to form the universe of what what is our observable universe and what uh, what we uh, what we're taught in the what uh, you were taught in the Bible, they're very different. Well, well, well. I guess what I would say there is that there are Christians who said, "Ooh, the Bible demands that these are six thousand years old. That these are twenty four hour days, and the Earth is six thousand years old." And there are reasons to interpret those words in that way. But as I look at Christian, other Christians who hold scripture in equally high regard, so these aren't people who are trying to massage scripture and make it say what they want. They say, you know, no, that misses the point that these, what, what is key out of this Genesis account is one that God is, God is, this is a passage about God, not about time scales. This is a passage about what God has done, that he's the creator. He started, he created the whole universe that he fashioned earth as a place to live. And what you see out of those creation days is this systematic, progressive changing of this hostile earth to one that's not only capable of supporting life, but teeming with life. And so uh, the important points out of there are not the time scale, but who's the creator and does the earth have a purpose? And so when I go look and say, all right, does if, if God created the universe, then I ought to find evidence that there's a beginning. And I go look out at science and lo and behold, the scientific evidence points to there being a beginning to the universe. But that's only that's only um, what we know as the observable universe. Uh, when you say when you use the word beginning, I don't know what that means. I mean, the Big Bang supposedly is the beginning. We don't know what's before the begin. What we call the beginning. I mean, that's you know, that's it, well, every every so, ten or so, twenty years uh, they have a new theory. Uh, the uh, astronomers and and then, uh, you know, they have a different, they learn new things, you know. I, I agree. And that's that's actually one of the interesting studies I've done in kind of the history of uh, this thought over the last 120 years is that uh, starting in the 1900s, scientists thought the universe was infinite and eternal. And when Einstein introduced his theory of general relativity, it brought to fore this notion that the universe had a beginning. And scientists have introduced multiple ways of saying, oh, no, there wasn't a beginning. And lo and behold, you know, they said, well, maybe the universe is oscillating. Well, even that still has a beginning to it. Maybe the universe is a steady state universe. No, that doesn't match the observations. Uh, you know, oh, the Big Bang is the beginning. Uh, you know, so it points to that. Well, the multiverse gets around the beginning. No, even the multiverse has a beginning. And so it seems like there's this long history of ideas where we say there isn't a beginning, but the universe kind of keeps pushing us back to the notion that there's a beginning. And uh, you're correct that this isn't a settled thing. I mean, we're still talking about quantum gravity, and that may have a, have a way that the universe is eternal into the past. But it seems like there's a lot of evidence supporting the notion that there's a beginning. Beginning of what? The beginning of what we call our universe. Now, whether there's something outside the universe, uh, you know, effectively what the what the Bible is saying is that whatever we whatever we see, everything we interact with had a beginning. Why does it have now, to? Now, whether there, why do we have to have a beginning? 
Why does the why does reality have to have a beginning? Well, you you end up in some interesting philosophical conundrums if if uh, uh, because if something had a beginning, then something has to never have a beginning. So the fact that we all had a beginning means that something had to just had to just exist. And now we're talking about what's the nature of that reality. And that's kind of one of the big discussions going on in science, you know, the, the Christianity and science discussion is, is God that ultimate reality that began everything? Or is the universe eternal? And that's what is ultimately that 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 un, uncaused cause of that necessary, necessary reality. And I, th- I think that's an interesting discussion. What I find interesting is that there's a lot of evidence pointing to the physical realm having a beginning. Uh, you know, again, it's not a settled issue, but I think there's strong evidence pointing that way. Um, t- time is linear. I, I mean, I'm, I'm not great with astrophysics. It's, but far, it's, it's more complicated assume. than that. Um, as a general rule, time proceeds in a linear fashion, but there's some complications to that, especially, uh, I don't know how much we want to talk about this, but when you get into general relativity, one of the fascinating consequences of general relativity being an accurate description of the universe is that space and time are no longer separate quantities. You have to talk about space time. And so leads to this interesting phenomena that the faster I move through space, the slower I move through time. And so when you say time is linear, what that means is a little hard to quantify, but um, at least in our universe, time moves only in one direction. So we all move through through time in the same direction. We don't always move through time at the same rate because how we move through space how we affects how we move through time. And there are some other there are some other interesting consequences. But time has a predictable nature because of general relativity being able to describe the dynamics of space, time, matter, and energy of our universe. So. Um, our universe is made up of matter, right? <laughs> I'm uh, I'm trying to bring it down to a, a level that I I can sort of understand. But uh, these are things that I've been curious about for a very long time. Um, uh, in relationship to the beginning, um, uh, matter has always existed, right? It can't be created or destroyed, so it's always Energy. the universe has always been made up of matter. Yeah. Well, s- since energy. the start of our universe, yes. So once the universe begins, it's actually not matter. Right. It's energy can neither be created nor destroyed. It can just change form. So there's mass has energy, oh, light has energy, sound has energy. So you can create, you can transform energy from one form into another. But that's really the big question is, did our universe begin and therefore there's this start to matter, space, time, matter, and energy, or has it always existed forever? That's kind of one of the ongoing discussions uh, in the scientific community uh, and and in the science faith community or the science faith discussion. And uh, I hear a lot more. I, sorry, I missed the matter energy quiz in, in school, but the um, uh, I hear that most commonly people think it starts right. Like uh, there's a, a bigger consensus for that. Well, I, I will or, say this: there's a lot of evidence that points to the space, time, matter, and energy that make up our universe having a beginning. Um, the question of right. what is beyond that. Um, is it God? Is it a multiverse? Is it something else that can create our universe? That's uh, that's a question that we don't have any scientific data that weighs in on yet. Uh, 
what what do you think uh was before the, well that, the that's uh you can't ask that question because the beginning is the beginning of time as well and if you don't have time you can't have it before but yeah i will i, I say that the best explanation of the fact that our universe has a beginning is that there is a creator, a mind behind it, because that explains a lot of the things that we see inside our universe. Uh, if if just the matter, space, time, matter, and energy is what is responsible for our universe, then you run into these interesting questions of how do you get minds out of space, time, matter, and yeah. energy, and that's a a question that we don't have a good answer. Well, for. if 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 it was all energy um, before it became matter, yeah, Grandpa. Before the Big Bang, I'm assuming that there was an energy. Isn't that a reality? Isn't that a reality of the universe? Well, so so the the Big Bang, and again, you know, the, the how the multiverse the multiverse impacts how we think about that. But uh, Big Bang, um, if you you know, there's some space time theorem, or there's some theorems that say that if general relativity governs the dynamics of the universe, and we have sufficient energy in the universe, and energy behaves a certain way. Then as you run time backwards, eventually you run into a singularity where the laws of physics break down and nothing exists. And so that's not that there's energy before that. It's that's the that's the origin or the boundary of space, time, matter and energy. So from that time or from that breakdown, there's space, time, space, time, matter and energy. Outside of that, there's just a boundary. There's nothing. And so it's not like the Big Bang transformed certain kind of energy into another kind it's something else has got to be going so, on. And again, the multiverse impacts that discussion, but it, it's, it's, that's so what you're saying idea. is if, if, How? if you have energy, but you can't identify it, you can't see it, that reality doesn't exist at that point. No, no, I, I'm saying something different. I'm just saying that if you take the space time matter energy of our universe and run it backwards in time, just with general relativity, you eventually you run into a boundary where Beyond that, you have no space, time, matter, and energy. So it's not that we can't see it, can't comprehend it. It's that there's there's a boundary to what we can do. And so we don't know what's outside that. Um, that that's really what I'm saying. And, and, and that's the ability of the human intellect <laughs> to understand that. Well, given that we can study things scientifically, we can draw those sorts of conclusions. Oh, man, this is great. Um <laughs> From all this, it makes seems like it's a better chance for me understanding that I'm in a simulation and that that there is a beginning besides the beginning that we know of. This is the most big brain uh, episode we've ever had. This is hilarious. This is great. <laughs> it's hilarious. It. I was thinking about you, you. You make that you make that joke, but that's actually one of the ideas out there is that if if there's this vast multiverse that we were talking about, and I, I actually think there are reasons to think there is a vast multiverse out there. Um, you run in and and Human minds are just the proper collection of atoms in a certain arrangement, if you will. Then you run into this problem that uh, it's it, you can't tell whether you're a simulation or whether you're actually real. And so there, there is this. Oh, yeah. th this is one of those scientific <laughs> ideas floating around out there that people are debating. I mean, so I, I feel like, but the. The question still stands, right? Like, if this is a simulation, then the world outside of the simulation, all the stuff we're talking Maybe. about Maybe. applies. Well, well there's, there yeah. is a world outside of the simulation, but... We don't know anything you, about it. The question is, from inside the simulation, how do you know what it looks like outside? Because you have no access to it. What, no, what's I'm that? just saying, like, it could be a whole different, a whole different ball game out there. Yeah. Who knows what they're doing? 
Exactly. Unless the outside, something in the outside revealed itself on the inside, which is what I would argue Christianity has done. What about UFOs? Or is true Christianity. You don't know anything about it. Well, they changed the acronym. It's not UFO anymore. It's, oh, something else. The illusion of reality. They changed the name of UFO. Don't nobody care what the new thing is. It's a UFO. Uh No, no, no. Why would you change UFO? That's like like eradicating Pluto again. Like, just leave it alone. it's, It's my sim creator telling me to like... Fix it up, like yeah. something different, man. No, you're wasting, you're wasting my. Yeah. I, I don't mean to say things too controversial, but Pluto never would have been a planet in the first place. Just, just saying that. Sorry. And that's yeah. our show. Thank you for coming, Jeff. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. Pluto supremacy. Uh, hilarious. Um, yeah, that's funny. Uh, no, but I do want to talk about the. I know it's not called UFO anymore. It's called something else. But don't are, are, as an astronomer, since you study astronomy, aren't you like looking at stuff in the seeing what unidentified objects are every now and then? Not maybe not you personally, but um, are you in that realm of finding out unknown? Well, that, that whole discussion has two different camps to it, and uh, the the one that I think is less scientific and far more speculative is are you know are there are all of these unidentified flying objects are they aliens coming and abducting and visiting us and i i don't think there's a lot of credibility to most of that in fact you know you can you can demonstrate that most of the ufo uh, the things that we identify as ufos ultimately are phenomena on the earth natural phenomena things in space you know i mean you can map them out or you can identify them and then also you know part of the challenge is a lot of the weird things we see uh, given that there are military operations, are things that maybe we don't know what they are, but they're not, they're they're phenomena produced here on Earth. Uh, so I, I don't find that discussion quite as interesting as the discussion of okay, we know there's life here on Earth, and it's abundant, it's diverse, it's very complex, and it's very intelligent and sentient. The question is, is there life somewhere else out in the universe? And I, and that's a fascinating scientific question as well as a fascinating theological question. So I find that second discussion far more interesting. What do you believe in the second? If you press me on it, I'll say this. I don't think there's life out there. But if we find life out there, it wouldn't surprise me. I, I, I have a question. Um, I, I know that the, that the energy that we uh, can measure from, let's say, from a star is very, very small. I once mm-hmm. heard that all the energy that's ever been gathered from all the stars isn't equal to like the, the the energy of one snowflake falling now i don't know whether that's true or not it may not be true i don't i don't know but i once heard that that okay but my my, my question is we can barely you know we just about barely see a star i mean we do see them so at those distances how is a a civilization going to have enough energy? I don't care how uh, defined it is uh, to uh, to reach us. How, you know, when uh, an entire star, we just you know, it's a pinpoint of light. Well, you, you identify a very challenging problem, and it's one of those things where you look in the popular culture and space travel is just almost taken for granted. I mean whether you're in the Marvel comic universe or whether you're in Star Wars, Star Trek, whatever, whatever, uh, whatever 
fantasy world you want to live in, space travel is just almost trivial. I mean, it's it's hard, but it's almost trivial given how far far advanced they are. But what you know, you've identified two issues. One is that the energy required, or, or the energy required to get to the speeds to traverse interstellar space are enormous. Um, for example, if we launched uh, the Voyager probes back in the early seventies, they have been traveling away from the Earth for the better part of fifty years, a little over fifty years. They are just now escaping the boundary where our solar or our sun is driving the environment. It will take another, and they're. Tra- I think they're traveling about sixty-three miles per hour, sixty-three thousand miles per hour. So these things are clipping. It will take forty thousand years for that Voyager probe to get closer to another star than to our sun, and it will take another forty thousand years for it to actually get to another star. So we're talking eighty thousand years with our fastest probes. Now you might say, all right, well, let's. What happens if we travel at maybe a hundredth to a tenth the speed of light? Well, if we can get up to a tenth the speed of light, we can get to another star in only forty years. Um, now, the energy required to accelerate 500 grams of material, which is not a lot of material, I think maybe it's 500 kilograms, so that's a few people, um, that is uh, roughly the energy, the entire energy budget of the United States for a year. So there's an enormous amount of energy that goes into that. And when you're traveling at those speeds, uh, the collisions that you have are kind of catastrophic. Um, you know, it's... You're traveling close to the speed of light. There, there's a funny book out. It's written or written by the guy who does the comic strip XKCD, but he does a discussion of what happens if you throw a baseball at the velocity of light. And without going through all of the interesting stuff in between, the net effect of that is equivalent to detonating an atomic bomb behind home plate. Um, so, you know, you, you're traveling through space at a tenth the speed of light. You run into a grain of sand. It's just going to blow your space trip up. So there are, you know, you've identi- rightly identified, there are huge problems to traveling through space. So I don't think that's what's going to happen. That's why I'm also very skeptical of any of these UFOs actually being aliens, if you I will. found it. UAP. What a, UAP. A UAP, is, which stands for uh, what? Unidentified. Yeah, aerial phenomenon. Um, there we go. Okay. So no, no snowflake. Not no snowflake energy for getting to another star. I see. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you can convert all the energy of the snowflake or all of the mass of the snowflake into energy, you can get quite a ways. But uh, that, that's because mass has a lot of energy in it. Well, multiply it times the speed of light squared to get the amount of energy. Mm. That's what Einstein told us. Hmm. Um, going back to something that you were talking about before, could you explain the multiverse to me? <laughs> well, yeah. So, so the way I the way I can see, you know, if you're going to talk about a multiverse, you've got to define a universe first. And the way I describe the universe is when we look out into space, we know that uh, there's a limit to how fast you can move through space. That's the speed of light. And there's an age to our universe. It's 14 billion years, a little bit less than 14 billion years old. So what that means. So if I look at things here on Earth, you know, things like things appear to happen instantaneously. But if I go look at the moon, it takes light one second to travel from the moon to the Earth. That means I'm seeing the moon as it appeared one second ago. If I go out to the sun, it's about eight and a half minutes. So if the sun were to go out right now, uh, it would 
I would not know that for eight minutes because it would take eight and a half minutes for that information to get to us. Uh, I can go out to uh, the closest galaxy, closest large galaxy. That's two and a half million light years. In other words, I'm seeing that galaxy not as it looks now. I'm seeing it as it looked two and a half million years ago. And as I keep going farther and farther and farther away, light takes longer and longer to get to the Earth, which means that since the Earth is only, or the universe is only 14 billion years old, there's a maximum distance that light could travel to Earth. And so that's what we can talk about as the observable universe. The most distant reaches where light could travel from that place to here. And that the size of that is about 50 billion light years in radius. Now, that, that number is not so important. The, so I, I will call that the universe because that's everything that we've, we have the possibility of interacting with. The multiverse, the way I describe it, is just anything beyond that. Now, there's a couple of ways you can have stuff beyond that. You can just have a whole lot more of the same stuff, uh, which I, I, I call that a level one multiverse. It's just like if you were transported to the edge of our observable universe, you'd see a whole lot more of the same stuff. That's stuff beyond our universe, but it's just a whole lot more of the same stuff. Now, there's another idea, which, uh, you know, you take all of the stuff, even of that level one multiverse, there could be other regions of space, other regions out there where the laws of physics might look different to where, you know, if you put a bubble around all of the stuff that's part of our universe and our level one multiverse, put a bubble around that, there probably are other, there may be other bubbles out there. And that's typically what people are talking about when they talk about the multiverse. You also get a, go ahead. So, so what? Sorry, yeah. so sorry to interrupt, but when I when I was told that the universe was infinite, that was incorrect. Was well, that... and this this is where you got to be careful of your definitions, because most people, when they're talking about universe, they're talking about our observable universe plus all the stuff that looks like it beyond it. And the idea, mm -hmm. the 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 thought is that that may well be spatially infinite. Uh, that's an open question. We know that our universe has to be at least as large as the observable universe. But we don't know how uh, what the what the largest size is. It may it may go on forever, uh, or it may not. We just we don't have any scientific way to weigh in on that. At this point. So I, I hesitate to call it infinite, but it might well, be. Jeff, uh, you know, even if you know we can get down to a tenth of a second of arc or a millionth of a second of arc, we still don't have. We're still limited in what we are able to see. Just like we didn't know until relatively recently that what looked like uh, dark areas of the of the universe are filled with galaxies, but we were unaware of that. So everything we're talking about is just uh, within the the ability of our uh, uh, equipment, whether it be uh, visible light or infrared or whatever, to see things, uh, you know, the electromagnetic spectrum. So we don't really know all that much other than, you know, what our ability is as far as our equipment goes. Well, I, I agree with your assessment that there's what we know is contingent upon the uh, the measure, the instruments we have to measure and the mathematical tools we have to build models about it. Um, so I agree there's a there's a limited aspect. And, you know, what, that's why I kind of get pretty excited every time we come up with a new instrument that does something that we haven't done before is because that gives us the ability to see things that we wouldn't have been able we, we weren't able to see before. Um, I would push back a little bit on the idea. So, so in that it, it, there, there's definite limitations there. But I do think there are things that as we studied the universe, 
we've put ideas out there and said this and we've tested them and, and they've stood up to a lot of testing. And so there are things that I'm pretty confident we can say about the universe, even though we don't have the tools to measure everything. I, I don't think we're ever going to exhaust everything we can see and know about this universe. But it doesn't mean we don't have a lot of the big picture pieces in but, place. But Einstein's theories uh, kind of added a dimension to what we knew from from Newton. Now, maybe we're going to find, right. maybe somewhere in the future, we're going to find new uh, cosmic theories or new mathematical theories as well, you know, that will beyond what even what Einstein was aware of. No, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. And, and you know, you, that's why I agree with your comment is that as we continue to build new instruments, build better mathematical models and better tools like that, we're going to know more. But it is important to recognize that when Einstein came along, he didn't say, oh, Newton was wrong. Because when we still, I mean, the vast majority of stuff we do still uses Newtonian dynamics. He just said, it's not complete. There's more to know. There's these regions where Newton couldn't explain, where now Einstein can explain them. And so I expect that we're going to find places out there where even though general relativity is very good, we know it's not the ultimate theory. So there's got to be something more, but it's not going to negate what we've learned through general relativity. It's just going to expand our knowledge even more than that. What is the biggest thing in your career that you hope to um, sort of be remembered for or uh, have accomplished? Uh, that's a that's an interesting question because uh, I, I have I work at a organization called Reasons to Believe that uh, argues that science and the Christian faith work together, and so uh, you know. You, <laughs> The, the questions you're asking me about the multiverse and is there life out there and is there a beginning to the universe? Uh, the three books I've written are Who's Afraid of the Multiverse? Is There Life Out There? And Escaping the Beginning. And so these are the questions that I've had. And I really do hope that the research I've done and the books that I've written will help people see that the Christian faith is a very robust Christian faith, that it's that it's the truth. Uh, it's it's the true thing to place our trust in and, and our faith in, and so that, that that's one thing I hope. Um, I also work as a sci or work part time as a scientist over at UCLA, and right now we are building an instrument which I hope will actually measure uh, some of the dark matter particles, or at least a consequence of dark matter particles interacting a certain way. And so, if that experiment works the way I hope it does then that I, I get to be part of the experiment that finds out what dark matter is. And I think that'd be really cool. I mean, both, both of those are kind of, if I were to ask the things that I could be remembered for that I might have a chance of being remembered for, those would be two things. Have, have they, have they uh, launched the web uh, telescope yet? I don't think they have. I think it's getting pretty close to launch. You know, there, there's kind of been this long running joke is when are they going to launch web? Uh, it's five years and it's always five years, but I think within the next year or two, it's supposed to be launched. So I think that, that that's just going to be, uh, I don't know how, you know, you know, a little bit different ages here. I don't know how much you remember when Hubble was launched, uh, but when it was launched, it had some optical problems. And even with those optical problems, it was still the best telescope we had. And once they fixed it, I mean, it just, it transformed the way we saw the heavens. And I expect Webb will do the same sort of thing when we launch it. It's going to be incredible to see what we get to find through that. When I was a kid, I uh, was exempt from science and uh, I was worked on grinding a telescope lens. So I was always interested oh, really? in yeah, parabolic 
you know, reflect, reflector lenses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that's actually what's the what I found amusing about the Hubble Space Telescope is um, when they ground the lens. Yeah, so, so I mean, it's this uh, on the order of two meter mirror. I forget exactly what the size is, but it's on the order of two meters. Um, that uh, they were when they were grinding it, they had two ways of measuring whether whether it was ground properly. There was kind of a uh, uh, a longer or a more traditional way of doing it. And there was this new technique that they did. And, um, it, you know, this, one of these new techniques, you had this stick or you, know, you had a stick that you put in and there were detectors up at the top and you looked for a certain signature that when it was smooth, uh, and ground to the right dimensions, it, 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 uh, all the light came together the right way. Well, Apparently, while they were grinding it, while they were doing the test, the stick was supposed to be, I say stick, it's a rod. I mean, it was a not like somebody went and got a stick out of the yard, but um, somebody, apparently they put the rod in upside down. And so it was perfectly ground to the wrong specifications. Oh, oh wow. Which the nice part about that is that be, being as though it's so well ground, we could put in optics to correct for that, and that's why it works so well that it does. I mean, it really is a pretty spectacular thing, and even with the mess up, uh, it really does show the ingenuity of the the folks at NASA getting it corrected. When they when they uh, uh, do a lens like that, because they're big and heavy, I think Corning glass was involved in it. Um, do they uh, take into consideration gravity, the change in gravity from the Earth out into space? They would almost have to, or I mean, you're talking about uh, ground to you know nanometer light, light precision light. down yeah. in there, and yeah. so you're going to get distortions on Earth's gravity that aren't going to be true up in space. Right. So they'd have to take that into account. Right. Well, but I, I don't, I don't do that detail, that level of detail of work. So I, I don't know what the what the process. Well, when you just described the fact that they put the rod in backwards. Uh, I, I never knew that, so I always assumed maybe it was the gravitational problem that they had to correct. I, I didn't, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, no, it, it was it was ground ex- to exacting conditions, just to the wrong specifications. <laughs> okay. But that that's one of the interesting parts about the James Webb is that whereas Hubble is a single single piece of glass, the James Webb is actually a whole bunch of pieces of glass that have to unfold and get into very precise configurations. It's, it's a pretty remarkable engineering phenomenon that they can even consider doing It, that. it seems awfully, awfully difficult what they're trying to do with the, with the web. And I would have thought that it would have been much simpler to take it out into space and assemble it out in space, you know, within a reasonable distance from the earth and then move it out further than trying to um, than trying to uh, do it without ever being able to get out and fix things with a human hand if they run into problems. I mean, they've already broken cables yeah. and all kinds of issues. That, that's part of what they're trying to do. I do know that it's really expensive to get, you know, you, you talk, the more mass you put up in space, the more expensive it gets. And so... I don't know what the actual calculus was in there, but I'm guessing that at some level it was easier to say, hey, it's easier to go through all the investment and make sure it works here on Earth and then launch it into space than to than to try and assemble it out there. Because, again, that gets really expensive to put people into space. And it's hard to work out in space. I mean, you know, wrenches and nuts and everything don't move quite like they do here on the Earth, and that's hard to deal I, with. I thought that it was supposed to launch like last week, but they had a problem. 
No, you, that wouldn't yeah. surprise me. I just I haven't looked at the latest okay. on that, but that wouldn't surprise me. Um, I, since we're all talking about this a little bit, what would you would in energy and whatnot? What what happens? You know, uh, after um, after I stop having energy. So, uh, well, after after your body quits working, I mean, there's still a lot of energy in your body. It's just not my brain part usable for living. Brain. It's not it's not doing work for you living at that point in time. Um, my position is, and you know, this is uh, you know, the position of Christianity is that uh, humans are a union of body and soul, and so when we die, our physical body here dies, and then uh, depending on how you have dealt with. Uh, God's revelation that we are fallen before him, that we fail to live to his standard, that uh, he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross, that if we accept his uh, payment and uh, and an invitation to be part of his family, that your soul then uh, is reunited with a physical body. You'll live forever in heaven with God. And if you reject that and don't want to be with God, that you live forever apart from God uh, with a physical body. So that's uh, that's what Christianity has to say. If, if you're a naturalist, when your body quits using energy, you're just gone. There is no more you. Yeah. All right. Cool. That's about the answer I was I was looking for. Uh, <laughs> um. Now nah, I love what you say. I, I guess the thing that makes me hum the most, or the one that every time you say it, it just makes me question it every single time. Is just that you you I I I'm all for the science and I'm all for religion going with it. I just, I just, I don't know if I can just lean to this like Christianity being the one, yo. Know? Like it just, it's, it's like um, I have to read your books to to actually maybe see some facts and some more knowledge uh, of it. Um, but for some reason, it makes me feel some type of way. I don't know why. Um, maybe because it's inclusive. Well, it, no, you, you, you are, you're exactly right that uh, I am making claims that other ways of looking at the world are wrong and Christianity is the right way of looking at the world. And that's, I, I make no bones about the fact that that's very different than the prevailing message uh, in society today. Um, part of that is because I'm a little older than most of you. Um, part of that is because uh, because I'm a scientist. And, uh, you know, one of the things that you do as a scientist is you say, all right, this is the situation. What are ways that I how can I explain that? And one of the hallmarks of the scientific enterprise is that you don't just come up with ideas and say, well, I can explain it this way. Well, I can explain it this way. You say, all right, well, I'm going to explain it this way. Does it account for everything that I need to explain? And how can I test whether that explanation is correct and the other one is incorrect? And so uh, this idea that there is a, it's not a single truth in science most of the time, but there is, there's stuff that is more correct than other ways of looking at it. Um, that aligns with the idea that there is a truth and we're pursuing finding what that truth is. And so uh, you know, there, there's a balance you got to say there. Again, uh, you know, I want to be respectful that other people are free to believe what they want. Uh, but I don't think we get to claim that just because I believe it, that doesn't make it true. There's, I think there's ways to test what's true. And that's why I'm pretty passionate about trying to say, how can we test what's true or test what test our explanations and find the ones that are true? Because I'm really interested in finding what's true and trying to align my life with that. No, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. That's why I'm like, at my end, I'm like, well, I have to read the book because I'm ready to blow holes all through your stuff, you know. Um, <laughs> but, um, but I do like, I, I like it. I just, again, that's just probably every every time you say it, I'm like, man, 
a lot of people here that are listening that ain't that that are not um a part of that and they're wondering like i wonder if they're looking at their book and going oh this book ain't shit <laughs> you know or something like that you know um uh, yeah that's, that's if, if i could ask a question you know is is it what what in there? I mean, I know you said you're kind of wrestling with the uh, feeling. I mean, what is it that is that? Is it the idea that there's a right and a wrong? Is there an idea that I'm making claims that I haven't backed up? Or I, I'm just trying. Yeah. No, no, no. Oh no, not claims that you're backing up something that you don't because you wrote the books and I, I throw there's some truth behind it. It's the in- inclusiveness of other people like that aren't Christian and have their own beliefs. And I understand that you're saying that you're fixing up science with your your beliefs and they line up with the bible I, the thing that makes me uh, about it is because i don't know enough knowledge if i did know oh that's right then i'm like oh the bible is right but so because i don't and i haven't read the book it makes me think hearing that as someone that isn't a christian makes me think that like dang you know what i've been living what i've been believing in you know um to a certain extent yeah no, that's that's a fair point i appreciate that and uh, yeah that's that's one of the reasons why you know i work for an organization that wants to go out and tell people this because I do think Christianity is right. And so I want people to know that. That's why I want to go out and talk to them about it. I, I love the conversation here. I, I, you know, I was say I, when I first heard of the podcast, I thought, ah, this is just awesome to have younger people, older people getting together, talking about ideas and wrestling with the ideas so that we can, uh, you know, the, if you can't wrestle and talk with the ideas, you can't make progress and learning what's true and how to, how to, how to live with it. So I love, I love this, love the concept and have enjoyed the time here today to talk about it. So. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think a lot of times when I listen to debates, it's always like people that are already professionals and experts on things and they're not really talking to people that the majority of the world, you know, mm-hmm. there should be debate where everybody, even someone that as a lay person that knows as little as I do, you know, I like that I'm even having a chance to over here and express my opinion to you. And you're, you know, I appreciate you showing, you know, so much respect and giving it some validity. Well, thanks. Yeah, it's, I, I, you know, I, I, I always hesitate. The way I think and the way people receive don't always align. This can sound real condescending, but I, yeah, I spent a lot of time believing a lot of wrong things in my life too. So it's, it's not like, oh, I've got it and here. I'm trying to tell you. It's like, you know, I'm trying to figure out, okay, where where am I believing wrong things and how can I believe more rightly? And yeah, you know, so it's I, I see we're all in that journey together of how do we figure out what's true and right and how do we align? I, I think with that it? the things that you're taught or indoctrinated in as a child will have a tremendous effect on what your beliefs are as an adult. And you can see it all over the world. I mean, people that are uh, from Asian countries don't necessarily believe in Christianity because they weren't brought up that way. Uh, oftentimes you'll talk to somebody, well, no, we weren't really Christian. But when you really get down to it, they were brought up in a Christian, um, in a Christian background, in a Christian family. Um, I believe in my ancestors, in my, what my ancestors believe. Um, and maybe not so much, but I'm, I'm just saying that, uh, when you're indoctrinated as a child in, in believing certain things, uh, that generally sticks with people throughout their life. Oh, I, I, I strongly agree. I think how, what you're taught as a child at the very minimum, if you, if you choose, that has a huge influence on what you're going to believe as an adult. And if you go otherwise, it takes quite a bit of effort to change that. 
I don't think that means that you're subject to whatever you were taught. I think people can pursue the truth regardless of where they came but from. But everybody has, you know, their their uh, belief in what's the truth. You know, truth is a very, yes. you know, it's a, a very nebulous thing. Uh, if you believe in it, for you, it's the truth. So I, I would just... Oh, no, no, I just I, that 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 statement strikes me as odd because, um, you know, you take a kind of a ludicrous example. You know, you could go out and say, "Well, I believe in gravity," and somebody else goes, "Well, I don't believe in gravity." You can't have both of those be true at the same time. So, uh, how how do we wrestle with it? Seems like there are, you know, for example, Christianity says God is one God in three persons, and that Jesus is the Son of God. Islam says that Jesus is not the son of God. I mean, you, you can't have both of those things be true because they're mutually contradictory. So it does seem like they're just because you believe it doesn't there, make there, it true. There's a difference between philosophy and science. And religion yes. is a philosophical thing. You have to believe in based on faith, not, not, on, not on what uh, you read in a book. Uh, you have to you have to you have to trust it based on based on your faith, um, because you could apply the same uh, things that occurred to you in your life or or in terms of worldly reality, uh, without believing in Jesus Christ. You could you could basically believe the same the, the same things. Uh, you know, as far as the physical world, how it relates to your to your mental or, or uh, philosophical world. Yeah, I, I guess the, the, you know, your, your definition of faith, maybe we, maybe we're using different definitions of faith because my, my definition of faith and what Christianity has defined faith is that it's confident trust in a reliable source. And so, um, you know, it's, I can choose to put my faith in anything. Um, but, in that, you know, in that definition, there's a, is this thing I'm putting my faith in reliable and trustworthy? And uh, I agree that people put their faith in all sorts of things. Uh, I guess my question is, how do we test whether those things are reliable and trustworthy? And um, that's, that's, I think, I think there are ways to do that. And again, it's a little counter to the way uh, kind of the dominant message is and how we look I guess at the, the creator, uh, if and when the crea creator wants to reveal the creator, every living being will be aware of it. I agree with that. Every, every, <laughs> every living thing will be aware of it. It won't, uh, you won't have to sell anybody on an idea. The, the rapture. Well, that... I would say the second coming of Christ. Yeah. You know, when that, when that second comes, coming. it will be clear what's, it, it, that that um, will sort things out a lot for how you believe and what you believe and and what's going to go on and that's that's part of my optimism uh, is that uh, you know there, there are a lot of issues of you know is God hidden why doesn't he know, how, you know I mean there's all sorts of a whole lot of interesting challenging difficult discussions there but uh, when Christ returns that's going to clear up a lot of all of those all of those questions so. A, a good example, maybe, of um, the wrestling of these two things. Uh, you mentioned soul, right? Um, 
And uh, I know a lot of scientists don't believe in a soul, and then every Christian or religious person does. Um, how, how do you wrestle those two things? Yeah, that's a great question. And, uh, you know, there's, uh, I don't, I'm not a person who's done the work in the sociology and the philosophy. And so, you know, I mean, I'm a scientist. I look at that and I'm a scientist who's a Christian. And it just, as I, as I look at what Christianity has to say, um, that, you know, again, going back into Genesis there, one of the place where I think this aligns is that, you know, in the beginning, God created. And that's that word for created has this connotation of bringing something new into existence. So God brought the universe into existence. Uh, but that same, that word for created is also used for humanity. And specifically, God says, let us make man in our image. And so he made male and female in his image. And so there's the material stuff was already there. The new part is that that soul or that spirit, whatever term we want to use for it. And so you know, again, this is what Christianity says, is that humans are a union of physical and spiritual. And so uh, yeah, I, I don't know that you can touch or measure the immaterial, but if the if that's true, then that will have measurable consequences. And one of the things that I find fascinating is that when you look through the archaeological and fossil record and genetic record, what you can find is evidence of what I'll call soulish or spiritual behavior right around the time that modern humans showed up. Uh, you know, there's a, there's an explosion in cave art. There's an explosion in uh, symbolic communication. Uh, these are things that would be an outcome of our having a soul. And so that doesn't really answer your question of, you know, the naturalist is going to say, well, these sorts of behaviors arrive from, arise from, you know, emergent properties of having all the stuff arranged, you know, so it doesn't def divide that distinction. Sorry, to, yeah. sorry to interrupt, but the, um, can, can you explain that sentence to me? The something about the immaterial, um, Man, you just said it a couple sentences ago. Um, so I, I don't know that you can measure the immaterial, but if we have an immaterial yes. component, that will have measurable measurable effects in our universe. So the fact that I have a soul affects the way I do things. The, that I have a soul allows me to communicate or you know, think symbolically, A equals MX plus Y equals MX plus B, that I can do things because yeah. of that soul that I have. And so... That, that was kind of my point is that those, those behaviors or the, the, the archaeological, geological or the archaeological and, uh, uh, fossil evidence of soulish behavior shows up right about the time that modern humanity arrives on the scene. Gotcha. I, and, and going back to, um, death. Uh, for example, I was someone who had a uh, very strong faith and I was very excited for this conversation because until about, Four years ago, um, I didn't have any anxiety about death, pretty much. Uh, I uh, had a very strong, uh, um, if it wasn't religious, it was still faith and spirituality and a strong connection to something. Uh, and then I lost that faith. Um, and I listened to a lot of uh, scientists such as yourself who uh, know a lot more uh, about all of this than me. Um, but I have a deep fear of death. Uh, and a lot of the scientists that I listen to, which is why I'm very excited to have your opinion here. A lot of the scientists I listen to are, uh, you use the word naturalist, right? Uh, where it's, uh, eternal oblivion, basically, where the, um, the, uh, soul that you describe comes from the brain, right? It's, um, 
neurons and firings and until we die that's happening and then as soon as we die it's like dust to dust you know and that really terrifies me because I, I i love existing and i don't want to not exist mm-hmm. um you know fridays saturdays and sundays mostly but um <laughs> i just uh yeah yeah i would love your thoughts on that like go, if you could go deeper into the death thing because i don't know well, and, and and i will say naturalists kind of take different approaches with that i mean there are people who say you know there's you know, life arises and, and once, you know, I mean, Jeff's wearing exists from the time I'm born to the time I die. And beyond that, I just become part of the substance of the universe, whether there's a, a consciousness that's a part of all things that makes me or not. Yeah. You know, so there's, there's, there's a lot of variability in what or, or diversity in how the naturalists handle that. There's naturalists think that like consciousness higher than. Well, they would say that there's a conscious that, that our universe has a consciousness built into it. It's called panpsychism is the term or for pantheism. it. Um, and so that's what explains our consciousness. And so it's it's a little it's something more than just the right arrangement of atoms is that when you get the right arrangement of atoms, there's a consciousness that is accumulated there, if you will. Um, but it seems like from a naturalist perspective, all of them do agree that there's you know, you're born, you become you. And then when you die, you're no longer you, all of that stuff that, that, that that's the extent of your existence. There may be records that last for a while, but eventually all of that's going to disappear. Um, and you know, so, so that's one way of looking at it. And then as a, you know, other worldviews look at that differently. And, you know, again, I can articulate Christianity as well because I've studied it is that, you know, that we are, you know, while we are physical beings, we are not just physical beings. We're a union of a body and a soul. And so the the soul obviously or that that is eternal. It will it will live on past my life here on earth. And uh, you know, in, in the resurrection, we will actually be I will be reunited with another body uh in the in the eternal afterlife. So um this this is part of the reason why I think it's important to think how do we test these worldviews? Is there ways of testing these worldviews and seeing which ones best match or best explain the reality in which we live? Because there's very different outcomes that play out there. Um, you know, if, if naturalism is true, you know, we've had a fun conversation, all of us are going to die and it really won't matter. Um, if Christianity is true, we've had a good conversation and what we do today matters in the afterlife. And so, that seems kind of important to be able to navigate. Okay, which of these are correct? Because it has consequences for how we but, live. But you're uh, equating a soul and eternal life with Christianity. But my understanding, maybe I'm wrong, but my understanding is that many uh, faiths believe in an afterlife. Oh, no, yeah, you're, you're absolutely so, right. I, I specifically said Christianity because that's the one right, I know but well. It's only one of but many... I, ideas or many one yeah. of many faiths that believe in an afterlife no, I mean, you've that got a soul Eastern religion. i believe in, in yeah. i believe in an afterlife i believe in a soul i believe in eternal life and uh and this life in worldly reality is just a very uh short time in eternal life i believe that but that doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily make me a christian uh you can have that belief uh, without uh, believing in Jesus Christ, uh, you know, that's, you know, every, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and that's why, I, you know, I, I would, 
I, I think these sorts of discussions, having these discussions are important because you're, you're right. I mean, I, so I don't know whether I, I didn't mean to or communicate that only Christians believe in an afterlife and a soul, but they all do look at it differently. And so being able to have those discussions amongst people who know and, and, and especially being able to assess, is there a way to determine whether one of these is a better, has a, a better way to look at things because it matches reality better? I think that's a pretty powerful tool that we have. I, I don't know if Grandpa or me on the same page, but um, I think maybe he meant by like, you know, you, when the days come and I'm, you know, I'm not saved, whatever you're basically saying there is a white religion, you know, like basically if the, like if, if you're saying Christianity is like the one that's close to it and the end of the days come, you don't matter what I was doing, breathe, believing in. If I ain't saved you, you, you know, you asked out. Um, is that basically what you're kind of saying, grandpa? Um, about like, I'm sorry. Um, but besides that though, I wanted to talk about what, um, Brandon was talking about too. Cause I thought it was funny too. Um, cause life is pain, Brandon. No, <laughs> I can't wait to die. No. <laughs> um, um, <laughs> And um, no, I just think it's funny because the loss of faith for me gave me like the other the freedom of being like, wow, like the fact that there was no afterlife to me once I lost religion or stopped going away from it is when I got a whole new like breath of life where I'm like, wow, what was, it, was it religion or faith that you lost? I guess religion, religion? more than faith. I, I guess I'm bring, I have I'm always been a f- pretty faithful spiritual person i feel but religion wise i kind of like dropped that off um and i gave me a lot more like freedom to just do the right thing because it's the right thing to do in my opinion and then at the end of the day um someone goes hey you weren't saved i'm like well at least i did the best thing at least i did what i at least what i did what i thought was right and then if they go hey you did everything right you're saved i'm like ah yes so i just keep trying to do i like that i don't have the i like that i don't have the restrictions of the rules um to tell me uh if I'm not or and are not gonna oh there was something else about the death thing. I, I um this is I guess to being cynical of people that uh believe in anything really is that um sometimes it's like because you're afraid of death, we don't know anything. We're looking for control. We're looking for why the why we want answers for the stars, we want answers for what we're gonna do after life because we're so afraid of dying. We need some control of like what's gonna happen. But I again like it that I don't know because I'm like I don't, you know take some take some pressure off of me a little bit. No, I, and I, yeah, I think there's lots of reasons why people believe what they believe, and some of those are good reasons, and some are bad. Uh, generally, fear is not a good reason to believe something. I will agree there. And I, you know, I, I, I have to say, I am, I, I understand the ooh, religion puts these constraints, and it's it, it pains me to see to know that Christianity. Is Christians often portray Christianity as, oh, these are the rules you got to do, and this is what you got to do to be, because that's fundamentally what Christianity is about, is that God, you know, give me a little brief moment to describe this, is that this one God, one God who's one God in three persons, perfectly content, needs nothing, uh, in eternity just exists in within in himself and can do, you know, has no need of anything creates humanity to enjoy that relationship with him. We rebel against it, and yet he provides a way for us to be atoned and and to enjoy that relationship. Um, it, it's not about, have you done all the right things? It's not, a, but, but I mean, I see why Christianity is perceived that way, because often Christians portray it that way. 
But at its heart, God is inviting us into a relationship with him that is the the reason why we exist. And so, you know, I, I'm saddened to hear that, you know, religion is this constraints, although at the same time, I, I live and think often that same way, but it's, it, it's just not it just, what Christianity is This about. is a man's rationalizing. Not just a big uh, Christians, because all of them, uh, you know. This is man's rationalizing his existence. Uh, man, I, 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 for one, my conscience makes me more concerned about uh, killing animals in order to eat than it does about whether I believe in a certain religion. That's just how I feel about things. Um uh, maybe I'm just an enormous virus. I don't know. Um, but I think man uh, <laughs> needs to uh, justify himself. And uh, one of the ways of doing it is uh, through religion. And I don't think religion and spirit, uh, spirituality are, you know, they, they, they're, they're joined, but I don't necessarily think that they're the same thing. I would agree with I agree. Religion and spirituality are related, but they're not no. the same thing. And uh, you know, I, I would say even being a Christian and being religious are not necessarily the same thing because Christian, again, is being a Christian is fundamentally about a relationship. Being religious is about being disciplined. Yeah, there's a different religious has a different different connotation. They're related, but they are different. So. Yeah, I like what you said there. But um Really did like what you said there. But no, since we're talking about the animals thing, I did want to go back to when you were talking about um, the soul. And when we when we were starting to have it is when. When did you say we started having souls and people uh, people started drawing on cave walls and whatnot? Yeah, you uh, see evidence for that back to about or yeah. since in the last hundred hundred thousand years, roughly that time scale. And the only thing that pops in my head again, I don't know anything, but I, I think I was thinking I was like, I. I know animals when they get bored play, you know, like I wonder if like, uh, you know, so they got souls uh, and where they I don't know if animals were here before us or which ones were. But it also makes me think of like, you know, hey, well, you know, uh, I don't know. That's just kind of uh, when you said that is something that I thought of. No, that, and that's a, that's a great, great observation. And again, you know, you know, I pointed out that created is for the universe and for humanity. God also created certain animals, and uh, yeah, the, the the terminology gets a little confused. But I do think there's a soulish nature to animals, where animals have this social capacity. Or certain animals have social capacity that are, other animals don't, and uh, you know that 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 extends to us that we have that capacity. We are alone have the capacity to direct that up to a creator, whereas animals don't do that. But uh, yeah, there, I think God created a fascinating creation for us to live in where we can enjoy the animals, enjoy one another, enjoy creation and enjoy the creator behind it all. And that's, that's a, it's a fascinating thing. In I haven't case. yet learned how to communicate with animals to know that they don't have a, uh, any kind of a soul. I, I haven't been able to do that. I, I, wish I know I could. my dog got a guy. <laughs> <laughs> the way my dog looks at me. <laughs> How are you doing, Sierra? I'm thriving, aliving. <laughs> I'm loving the discussion. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good thought. I think it's super interesting that you said at the beginning of this episode that like, even like, 20 years ago in like the 2000s, the rate of or the percentage of 
scientists or people in the community that believe in anything supernatural is only like at 40%. And that does kind of surprise me. I mean, it does, but it also doesn't because it's like, I guess it depends on your definition of supernatural. Like they, I'm sure there's plenty of people in the, in your community that believe that there's like some huge, greater powerful force perhaps that, that drives a lot of things that we still haven't um, completely understood, mm-hmm. but you know, they, maybe they don't define that as supernatural. They just are saying, you know, that's science that has yet to be discovered. No, that, that's a very astute point. And uh, yeah, there's, you know, that's a little hard to quantify, you know, and to make sure the terms bridge yeah. everything's, you know, it's like, I know uh, there's a fairly popular uh, scientist, Spinoza, who, you know, talked about God, but it was really more beauty in the creation was his guy. So how do you put all those into categories is a little bit challenging. But uh, I think to me, the main point is that there's a substantial fraction, you know, again, you know, 40% of people who think, yeah, the natural world's here, but it's not yeah. all that there is. And, yeah. you know, I was curious, you said you were surprised. Were you surprised at how high it was? I mean, or it how seemed low? kind of low to me, but 40 is, you know, pretty close to half because I'm just thinking like you, because I mean, you study dark matter, which is like literally the absence of like, you, you're pretty much studying the unquantifiable damn near. And it's like, okay, well, you know that there's something unquantifiable that exists like throughout everything that we can quantify so it's like how do you look at all that and say okay well that had to come from somewhere but then i you know thought about it some more as we went on and i'm like okay well they may just they just you know they don't think it's just like pixie dust that that it came about or you know you know it's not it may just not be something complete they don't believe that it will never be understood perhaps yeah well and and i will say straight up that most scientists I know of think dark matter is some sort of particle. I mean, we've got protons and electrons and neutrons and quarks. Dark matter is just, they think it's a particular kind of particle, and we have ideas of what kind of particle it could be based on what we understand of the universe mm-hmm. at this point. And that's, that's really kind of the, one of the things that I love about science is it's like a lot of the problems that we're dealing with are big problems that take a long time to solve. I mean, we first detected mm-hmm. dark matter 80 years ago, and we've been working for 80 years to figure out what in the world it is. And about 25 years ago, we figured out there's this stuff that we don't know called dark energy. And I have a suspicion in my lifetime, we won't figure out what that is. But uh, yeah, so there's these big problems, but yet they're fun to work on. And so, and and there's ways to make progress on figuring out what it is. That's that's what I love about science. Yeah. I'm really glad you came on because I feel like I'm a... um like a, a poor man's version of that. Well, again, I, I, I love reading mythology and religion and, and story, just storytelling in general. Cause mm-hmm. I like to see, like, I just want to see how people, how close people are. And we're like, where they're I just, the, the scientist in me wants to like figure out just why they said it and what, you know, why they got to that answer. And, and it's really cool just seeing that um, you seem like you've been on a route your whole life of trying to also answer those questions and make those connections. And it's pretty cool. Well, um, it's, been, you know. <laughs> it's certainly a fun journey, that's for sure. Um, this is just again nerd. Now, uh, can you remember like the like the most aha moment of like, wow, this this and this uh, my science and my Christian belief are like, you know, like the first thing it was like, wow, that that's they're 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 in hand in hand. Do you well, remember? That? I, I can't. Like I said, there's always an intuitive sense I have that they were because I've 
my, my dad's a Christian, my dad's a scientist and you know, I'm a Christian and I'm a scientist. So I kind of see that they work, but I think one of the aha moments that I had was this, that, um, as I was, you know, I mean, I, I, uh, decided to pursue a career where you're studying science and God and seeing if they, how they were Christianity and how they relate. Um, I'd taken classes and learned some of the apologetics and learned some of this stuff. Uh, if you'd asked me directly, I'd said, Oh yeah, of course they, 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 they go to, they, they align well with one another. And, and yet what I found was this every time, you know, this is back in the nineties, early two, well, probably early two thousands back when, uh, you know, discovering meteorites from Mars that might have had life in them or water on Mars or even the multiverse. And, and I remember as these discoveries came out, I was, I got anxious every time. And, and, uh, you know, just kind of odd. For some reason, it struck me, hey, I'm getting anxious when this happens. So I spent some time praying and thinking about it. And what I realized was this, is that though, if you ask me directly, I say, yeah, of course, science and Christianity go together. What I was concerned about was maybe this was the discovery and whatever this discovery was, maybe this discovery was the one that was going to show Christianity to be wrong. And mm. it just that recognition that that's the way I was thinking gave me the chance to say, okay, well, how, how should I think about that? Well, I realized that if God is who he says he is, that discovery is never going to happen. And so all that means is that where I see those conflicts, I just need to go dig deeper to figure out what I'm missing. Uh, there's also this recognition in there that if God isn't who he says he is, then I really kind of want to know that. And so there's no real reason to be scared of what science will bring. Right. It may be that it shows my belief in Christianity is incorrect, but that would be something important to know because that would be true. And so, uh, you know, I want to be, like I said, I, I, I want people to be passionate about pursuing the truth. I'm at this point in time, I'm convinced, although I continue to investigate, I'm convinced Christianity is true. Uh, but I want people to be passionate about pursuing the truth because it's important to align your life with the truth. How how do you balance that with, um, correct me if I'm wrong, in Christianity, you're supposed to have unwaver unwavering faith. So as opposed to looking for reasons that it's not right, always believing that it is. Am I wrong that that's a common well, I, I, Christian I, value? I, I do think that... Uh, as I have studied, the more I've studied, the more my relationship with God has grown, the more confident I am in the faith. But I don't think the Bible talks like, oh, you can never question or have any doubts about your faith. Uh, you know, I mean, I just go uh, look at John the Baptist. I mean, you know, John, I don't know how many of you know or how much you know about John the Baptist, but his sole purpose in life was to prepare the way for the Messiah, for Christ to come. Um, while he was in the womb, recognized Jesus, while he was in the womb, um, when, you know, spent his life uh, living a life devoted to preparing the way for Christ to come, baptized Christ. And when the heavens opened and the dove came down, the Holy Spirit alighted on his shoulder, heard God say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. If anybody should have known who Jesus was, it's John the Baptist. But yet here's John the Baptist, uh, got captured, taken prisoner, was going to be beheaded. And he sent word to Jesus saying, are you the one or should I wait for another? You know, here he is questioning, do I really have things right? Is my, is, is what I'm placing my faith in true? And, and what's interesting was Jesus' response was not, well, come on, John, you've seen everything. It wasn't, ah, oh, come on, John, you just got to have faith. Jesus' response was, 
go tell John what you've seen and heard. And then he gave him a list of things that the, that, that the Old Testament said the Messiah would do. And so he was saying, yeah, you're right. And, and you see the evidence for it. And so I think God welcomes our questions because, uh, you know, I know I love it when my kids come and ask me questions because it deepens our relationship. And so I, I, I will say my faith has grown stronger and stronger over time, but I don't think God's concerned about me having doubts. Uh, in fact, very often he answers my doubts if I continue to pursue him. Well, the the uh, Christian religion wouldn't have become what it is if it wasn't a very compelling story, obviously. You know, it's a very compelling story. Um, mm, why do you think there's so many different denominations of Christianity? I, I think people are very adept at fighting with themselves. Uh, you know, I mean, that, that, that's a study in psychology that's beyond me. But what I do know, I mean, even you go back and look at the people who were living amongst Jesus. They disagreed about who he was and what he thought and what he said. It's easy for us to find division and strife. And in fact, I think that's why Christianity talks a lot about how bad causing division and strife is, is that it's our natural tendency to be divisive and cause strife. And God doesn't want that. And so that's why he's commanded it. So it doesn't surprise me that there are a lot of divisions out there. Um, Are are you a part of a specific... um sect of christianity or just like an overall? i i have been a part of a presbyterian church i've been part of a baptist church i've been non-denominational i've been evangelical free so i've been in it. what the common tie in all of that is are these people who hold scripture in high regard and committed to pursuing a relationship with god through jesus christ um that is among other things a very fundamental agreement that all christians will have and so um that I've been a part of multiple different denominations. Hmm. Any um, of them you uh, prefer? Something that you, um, when we're talking, you know. Is there any particular denomination that that you you're going to stick with now that you're part of now? Um, I I am part of a local congregation. I think one of the commands of Christianity is to be in community with the church. And so uh, whether, you know, I I work really hard to find a church that is committed to that, but, um, you know, I'm going to stick with this congregation until I move because that's been the times where I've changed congregations. So um, I think it's a lot like marriage that God says, hey, I want you to work this out. Uh, You know, I mean, Christian or being in a church is a little different than marriage. Marriage is a covenant for life, but you know, in a church, work the differences out and figure out how to encourage one another to follow Christ. Is that called proselytizing? I think it's called proselytizing. I, I, I don't know. That that's, tends to have a kind of negative connotation. I just think of proselytizing as going out and saying, "Hey, here's what Christianity is. I want you to be a part of it." If that's proselytizing. Uh, then I and I will be guilty of that. Uh, I don't know what else is entailed in that term. What were you going to say, Fina? Oh, jokes and compliments, like always. <laughs> um, no, I was going to compliment uh, uh, Jeff for, like he had said earlier, which I, I liked in it uh, about, like, you know, we shouldn't move with fear because I, I think that sometimes uh, my stereotype, sometimes the Christians and people that follow religion is that they move in fear mm-hmm. sometimes. But Jeff, you not only have said it multiple times you can tell the way you move is it's like you're not moving with fear at all like uh which is very cool i, I appreciate it um and then oh yeah i thought the question i asked this is just a joke 
but because your dad's an alchemist, uh, a chemist, I thought you were gonna he's gonna turn water into wine or something, and that would have fixed it for you. But <laughs> didn't answer, didn't do it for me. So mm. <laughs> truth be known, I'm not a big fan of wine anyway, so that wouldn't have done much for me. <laughs> Well, I appreciate the opportunity to be here. This is good. Uh, I, I've enjoyed the fellowship, and it's it's been fun talking and interacting with everybody. Uh, yeah, very much hope um, that uh, while I have a lot of questions that it didn't sound like I was ever attacking or questioning, it's it, it's been one of the most like fascinating conversations. Yeah, I've enjoyed sure. it as well. Glad to hear. Glad to hear. I, I really appreciate the invitation to be a part of things. Cool. Yeah. Um, uh, if you got to get going and uh, we need to wrap up, we always do last thoughts on the show. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I do need to get going. I've got a daughter who's got a basketball game sure. and I need to get to that. Get a step uh, in. No, I, of course. Super fast. Okay. Last thoughts, everyone. Bullets. One bullet point each. Go. Okay. Sierra, start. Um, this was wonderful. Very informative. I'd love to have you back again soon. When you have the time, we can keep talking about space and science and all kinds of cool stuff. Thank you so much. Uh, I just want to say to you, Jeff, that I've enjoyed uh, having you on as a guest, uh, I think, more than any other uh, podcast that we've done. We've done 50-something. That's, that's very happy. And Grandpa doesn't lie. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. Finest? Uh, great talking to you. It was very fun and, and learned a lot. Uh, what was I going to say? Hmm. What position does your daughter play? Um, and I don't remember. Yeah. This nice. Thank you for yeah, Thank you for coming and sharing your ideas. I, yeah. It was fun. Well, thank you. She plays a five nice. and a, four, four or five in basketball. So. Oh, wow. Tall. Nice. Jeff, last thoughts. I just, I love the idea of having conversations where we can bring different ideas together and wrestle with them and uh, try and assess how do we proceed and how do we go forward? How do we pursue the truth in that? Uh, enjoyed this conversation tremendously because I think it's doing that. Um, where can people find you, plug all your stuff, all, all your media, you know? Yeah. And your books. I really want to read them. Yeah. Yeah. So go to reasons.org. That has all the information. You can find our store, blog articles, podcasts, that sort of stuff. Uh, actually, if you want to go, there's another uh, podcast I do called The Jeff and Mike Show with a uh, Hollywood producer that I happen to know. Uh, you can find that on YouTube. Um, but go to reasons.org, uh, check out the books, and uh, you can find me on Twitter and Facebook uh, if you want as well. What, when is your dark matter experiment happening? It is supposed to. Uh, it all likelihood it'll launch in December of 2023. Okay. Well, I'm I'm dying to know calendar? what happens. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <But my. festival. laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. This is another episode of Grandpa and Chill. Uh, so grateful for everybody. Love you. Love you, Brandon. Love you, Grandpa. Thank you Beautiful. so much. Podcasting with Grandpa Bart and Rosie. Always on his shoulder, this is Grandpa and Chill. Grandpa and Chill is brought to you by your hosts, Brandon Fox, Bart Frank, and Finest Jackson. Our producer is Sierra Doss. You can find episodes old and new on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. Subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the show, and follow us on Twitter for behind-the-scenes moments you can't get anywhere else.